Hi, I'm Father Gregory Pine. And I'm Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And you're listening to the Catholic Classics Podcast, where we seek to grow our prayer lives by learning from the Church's greatest saints and teachers. Spiritual reading can be challenging for many Catholics, so this podcast is here to help. Each season, we'll read through a great work, unpack its timeless wisdom, and encourage you with practical tips for the pursuit of holiness. The Catholic Classics Podcast is brought to you by Ascension. This season, we are reading Ascension's edition of Introduction to the Devout Life by St. Francis de Sales. To get your copy of the book and download the reading plan for this season, visit ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics or text INTRO to 33777. Be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast app. This is Day 18. Today we'll be reading Part 3, Certain Councils on the Practice of the Virtues, Chapters 8 and 9, and that's pages 217 through 225 in the Ascension edition of the book. Before we get into the reading, a quick look at what we're going to cover today. So we've talked at this point about patience and about humility, which St. Francis de Sales has identified as big ticket items, big virtues to work on as we lay the groundwork. And now he's going to talk about meekness. So we've heard of meekness because our Lord says that he's meek and humble of heart, but we don't always have a clear sense of what meekness is. And so he'll describe it for us as the virtue which reigns in or which moderates our anger. So he's going to talk about it first with respect to our neighbors, and then he's going to talk about it with respect to ourselves, which is fascinating because we don't often think about needing to moderate our anger towards ourself. But yeah, turns out it's a, it's a big part of spiritual growth because if we're constantly stirred up about our many failings and faults, then we're going to be thrown off our course of spiritual growth, the course that our Lord wants to direct us along. So let's go ahead and uh, say a prayer and start in. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Grant us grace, O merciful God, to desire ardently all that is pleasing to Thee, to examine it prudently, to acknowledge it truthfully, and to accomplish it perfectly. For the praise and glory of Thy name. Amen. Chapter 8. On Meekness Toward Our Neighbors and Remedies Against Anger Holy Chrism, which on the basis of ancient tradition we use in the Church of God for confirmations and blessings, is made up of olive oil mixed with balm, which represent, among other things, the two favorite and well-beloved virtues which shone forth in the sacred person of our Lord, who also exhorted that we make them our own, as though they would be the means for our hearts to be dedicated in a special way to his service and dedicated to imitating him. Quote, Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. End quote. Matthew eleven twenty nine. Humility perfects us in relation to God and meekness in relation to our neighbor. Balm, which as I observed earlier, always sinks to the bottom when poured into other fluids, represents humility, and olive oil, which always floats to the top, represents meekness and kindness, which rises upward above all things and is preeminent among the virtues. For it is the flower of charity, which, according to St. Bernard, is therefore perfect when beyond being patient it is also meek and kind. However, take care, my dear Philothea, that this mystical chrism made up of meekness and humility be rooted within your heart. For one of the great artifices of the enemy is to allow many to be deceived by the external expressions and appearances of these two virtues. Not examining their interior affections thoroughly enough, such people believe they are humble and meek, whereas in truth they are nothing of the kind. But this deception may be easily discovered, for despite all their shows of meekness and humility— in response to every little harsh word spoken to them or the smallest injury done to them, 
they puff themselves up with unparalleled arrogance. It is said that those who have taken the preservative that is commonly called, quote, St. Paul's fat, end quote, do not swell up when bitten and stung by a viper, provided that the preservative be of the best quality. In like manner, when humility and meekness are good and true, they preserve us from the swelling and burning heat that injuries are likely to raise in our hearts. However, if, after being stung and bitten by detractors and enemies, we become proud, swollen with rage and spiteful, this is a sure sign that neither our humility nor meekness are true and sincere, but only apparent and artificial. When the holy and illustrious patriarch Joseph sent his brothers back from Egypt to his father's house, he gave them only one word of advice, quote, do not quarrel on the way, end quote, Genesis 45, 24. I say the same to you, Philothea. This wretched life is but a journey to the blessed life to come. Let us not then quarrel with each other as we travel as wayfarers, but instead, let us march forward with all our brethren and companions in meekness, peace, and love. No, even more, I say to you, absolutely and without exception, if possible, do not be angry at all and allow no pretext whatsoever for opening the gate of your heart to anger. For as St. James tells us directly and without reservation, quote, the anger of man does not work the righteousness of God, end quote, James 1.20. We must indeed resist evil and restrain the vices of those under our charge constantly and courageously, though always remaining meek and peaceful in so doing. Nothing appeases the enraged elephant as quickly as does the sight of a little lamb, and nothing breaks the force of cannonballs as easily as does wool. When correction is born of passion, even if it be accompanied with reasonable explanations, we do not accept it as readily as we do that which is born of reason alone. For since the rational soul is naturally subject to reason, and never subjects itself to passion except through tyranny, so too, when reason is accompanied by passion, she makes herself repellent by allowing her just government to be debased through the tyranny of passion. Princes do honor to their people and give them reason for great joy when they visit them with a peaceful assembly. However, when they come at the head of armies, even if this is done for the common good, their visits are always disagreeable and oppressive. For even though they cause military discipline to be rigorously observed among their soldiers, nonetheless, they can never guarantee this so effectively that they would be able to prevent all disorders which would do harm to good men. In like manner, as long as reason rules and peaceably deals out chastisements, corrections, and critiques, everyone loves and approves it, even when it does so severely and exactly. However, when she brings in her company anger, passion, and rage, which St. Augustine called her soldiers, she makes herself more feared than loved, and even her own disordered heart is oppressed and maltreated. Quote, it is better, end quote, says the same St. Augustine, writing to Profiturus, Quote, to deny entrance to just and reasonable anger than to admit it, even in the slightest way, for once it has been admitted, it can be driven out again only with difficulty. It enters like a little speck, but in no time grows into a great beam. End quote. Thus, if anger can find a way to last until the closing of the day, allowing the sun to set upon it, something expressly forbidden by the apostle, see Ephesians 4.26, it will turn into hatred, which is profoundly difficult to remove from our souls, for it nourishes itself upon a thousand false pretexts, since no angry man ever thought his anger unjust. Therefore, it is better to strive to live without anger than to resolve to make use of it moderately and discreetly. And when, through imperfection and frailty, we find ourselves surprised as it rises up in our soul, it is better to drive it away at once than to enter into negotiations with it. For if we give in to it even in the least, 
it will become our master, like the serpent which easily pulls its whole body into a space so long as it can first fit its head through the opening. Quote, but, end quote, you will ask, quote, how shall I drive it away? End quote. You must, my dear Philothea, from the first moment you sense it rising up in your breast, muster your forces against it, not hastily and impetuously, but with a meek yet serious countenance. Indeed, just as we see in public halls and courts of justice the ushers crying, Silence! even though in the end they make more noise than those whom they wish to silence, so too it frequently happens that by violently striving to restrain, we will stir up more disturbance in our heart than the anger itself has excited on its own, and the heart thus agitated is no longer master of itself. After this meek effort, practice the advice given by the aged St. Augustine to the young Bishop Auxilius, quote, Do what a man should do. If what is spoken of by the man of God in the Psalms befalls you, leading you to say, My eye is troubled with wrath. Psalm 30.10, Dewey Reams Version. Have recourse to God, crying out with him as well, Have mercy on me, O Lord, so that he may stretch forth his right hand to crush your anger. End quote. I mean that we must invoke God's aid when we find ourselves excited to wrath, in imitation of the apostles when they were tossed by the wind and the storm upon the waters. For he will command our passions to cease, and great calm will settle upon our souls. See Matthew 8, verses 24 through 26. However, I warn you that our prayer against present and pressing danger must always be made calmly and quietly, not violently, and this advice must be observed in all the remedies against this evil. Moreover, as soon as ever you perceive that you have been guilty of acting with anger, repair the fault immediately through an act of meekness toward the same person against whom you were angry. Just as the sovereign remedy against a lie is to own it and speak the truth on the spot, as soon as we perceive we have told it, so too, an excellent remedy against anger is to repair its damage instantly by an act of meekness. For as it is said, fresh wounds are the easiest to cure. Again, when your mind is tranquil without any cause for anger, lay up in plentiful store meekness and good nature, speaking all your words and doing all your actions, whether small or great, with the greatest possible meekness recalling that the spouse in the canticle has not only honey on her lips and tongue, but also under her tongue, that is, in her breast. See Song of Solomon 4.11. Indeed, she has not only honey, but milk as well. And so, too, we must not only have sweet words for use toward our neighbor, but also the whole of the breast, that is, the whole depths of our soul ready for such use. And what is more, beyond the sweetness of honey with its aromatic fragrance, that is, sweet and civil conversation with strangers, we must also have the sweetness of milk among our family and neighbors. How great indeed is the failure of those who abroad act like angels and, upon returning home, are like demons to their kin. Chapter 9. On Meekness Toward Ourselves One of the best exercises in meekness that we can perform is that whose subject is ourselves, by never fretting against ourselves and our imperfections. For although reason requires that we should be displeased and sorry for all the faults we commit, Nonetheless, we must refrain from bitter, gloomy, spiteful, and passionate displeasure. Indeed, many err greatly in this regard, allowing themselves to be overcome by anger, then becoming angry for having been angry, vexed at having given way to vexation, and fretful for having been fretful. In this way, they allow their hearts to be perpetually preserved and steeped in anger. And although it seems as though the second wave of anger destroyed the first, it nonetheless serves to open a fresh passage for new anger on the first occasion that shall present itself. 
Moreover, anger, spite, and vexation against ourselves tend to foster pride and flow from no other source than self-love, which is troubled and disquieted upon seeing how imperfect we are. Therefore, we must be displeased at our faults, though in a way that is peaceful, calm, and steadfast. Just as a judge punishes wrongdoers much better when he is guided by reason in his judgments, pronouncing them in a spirit of tranquility, than when he acts with ferocity and passion, because judging in the heat of passion, he punishes the faults in accord with his own character, not in accord with the reality of the offense. So too, we correct ourselves much better through calm and steady repentance than by repentance that is harsh, eager, and passionate. For fierce repentance is not in line with the quality of our faults, but rather is attuned to our own inclinations. For example, he who makes a show of his chastity will be irritated with disproportionate bitterness at the smallest fault he commits against that virtue, while merely laughing when found guilty of great detraction. By contrast, he who hates detraction will torment himself about minor grumbling, while thinking nothing of a great fault committed against chastity. And many other examples could be given. But the true source of all this is the fact that when these men judge their consciences, they are not guided by reason, but instead by passion. Believe me, Philothea, just as a father's mild and affectionate reproofs have far greater power for correcting a child than do rage and passion, so too, when our heart has committed any fault, if we reprimand it with mild and calm rebukes, having more compassion for it than passion against it, encouraging it to amendment, then the repentance it will thereby conceive will go much further and reach deeper down into the soul than a fretful scolding and stormy repentance. For example, if I were strongly resolved not to yield to the sin of vanity, but then fell into some great instance of it, I would not reprove my heart after thus, Quote, how wretched and abominable could you have been after so many resolutions to allow yourself to be so carried away by vanity? Die with shame. No longer lift up your eyes to heaven, you blind, impudent traitor, and rebel against your God. End quote, etc. Rather, with a reasonable and compassionate countenance, I would reprove it as follows. Quote, Alas, my poor heart, behold, we have fallen into the fault we had so firmly resolved to avoid. Oh, let us rouse ourselves and put it behind us forever. Let us call once more upon the mercy of God and hope that it will assist us to be more constant in the future. Come, let us once again set forth on the way of humility. Take courage. From this day onward, let us be more on our guard. God will help us. We shall do better. End quote. With these words of critique, I would build a firm and constant resolution never again to relapse into this fault, using the proper means to avoid it, seeking the advice of my spiritual director. Nonetheless, if anyone should find that his heart is not sufficiently moved by this mild correction, he may use sharper and more severe reproaches and corrections in order to rouse it to deeper dismay, provided that after he has thoroughly blamed and chided his heart, he finish with some encouragement, turning his grief and anger to a sweet and consoling confidence in God, in imitation of that illustrious penitent who, seeing his soul afflicted, encouraged it, quote, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my Savior and my God. End quote. Psalm 43.5 Therefore, when your heart falls, raise it up gently, humbling yourself greatly before God and acknowledging your wretchedness, though without being surprised at your fall, for it is no surprise that infirmity should be infirm, or weakness, weak, or wretchedness, wretched. Detest, nevertheless, with all your power, the offense God has received from you, and turn back, with great courage and confidence in his mercy, to the way of virtue which you had forsaken.
All right, in this section, we've seen a few different themes emerge. So we'll do our best to deepen some of our, you know, kind of thinking about those subjects. So I think what we see here, just kind of at the beginning, is a general distrust of anger, basically because anger carries us away. Anger clouds our thoughts, right? It stirs up our feelings. It kind of twists our wills. And before we know it, we've done something that we regret. Now, there are a lot of conversations about whether one can be righteous in his anger. Certainly the Lord was righteous in his anger when he drove the money changers out of the temple with a whip woven of many cords. But I think what we find with St. Francis de Sales here is a kind of distrust of our own tendency to get carried away. So, Father Jacob Bertrand, as we think about anger and its effect in our life, yeah, what do we do with this suspicion? Is it just an oldie-timey suspicion, or do we think that that's probably the case in the here and now? Uh, I'm going to say both and. Oldie-timey, as, as you said, and <laughs> here and now. Um, I think perhaps a perennial, what, perennial mm, caution that, that we ought to take heed of. I, mean, I don't think this takes much like theological or philosophical insight to understand. I think we can just think of our experiences of being angry. I guess like start with the extreme of being really angry when you sort of like have tunnel vision and can't think and like, you know, you like see red, right? Like it's, it sort of removes us from our, from our reason, from our ability to think. And, and even in simpler or less extreme circumstances, we can, uh, I have the habit of like making, of reciting things that I've heard without being able to attribute them, but trying to attribute them. I've heard like, you know, like not to make rash decisions when we're angry, not to like, if we get in and if somebody upsets us, you know, not to approach them when we're angry, like cool down, think about it and then bring up the, the situation like this. These things are true and good because anger has a way of just like consuming and mm -hmm. we don't want to be consumed by something that like when we're not in control, you know? Um, so I think that's, yeah, oldie timey, but also, but also <laughs> here, here and now it's, it becomes, we have to look at our lives in terms of like, what is a stumbling block and to our, what are stumbling blocks to pursuing what is good and true and, and holy. And in previous episodes, we were talking about like, what do we worship? What do we cling to? You know, what is a stumbling block there? But I think anger, we don't usually worship anger in that kind of way. It's not an idol, but it is an, is a stumbling block too. It is, it's a distraction. It, it turns our gaze. We've talked about that too. It turns our gaze from Christ to something that's consuming, self-consuming. Yeah. I think that there are a variety of little examples throughout the course of our day where we recognize this fact, namely that we can get carried away by anger. Certainly, you know, when you receive an email that's cross or when you, you know, like get a message from somebody that is dismissive or that's rude or whatever, like our first movement is like, ooh, <laughs> like I'm coming right back at you. And like you formulate the text and maybe you fire it off and then you're like, ooh, maybe that was a little too strong. Because what we often find is if we formulate the text, set it down and then come back to it, we're like, ooh, maybe I, I read that email in a really unsympathetic way. And then I furnished a response in a kind of offensive way. But now that I have a little bit of distance, right? Now that the anger has passed, I think I'm thinking a little bit more clearly about it, which is why it's also helpful, you know, when we're making a big decision, which involves conflict, you know, we check in with our friends, we afford time for discernment, et cetera, et cetera, because there's this recognition that, uh, yeah, that anger, like we said, it can cloud our minds, it can kind of twist our hearts, it can stir up our feelings, and then it just makes life complicated. So, yeah, thinking of his counsel for how we grow in meekness, thinking about your experience for, you know, living your own life and then conversations with other people. What do you think are some good kind of go-to ways 
to begin to live this virtue of meekness as it as it forms us as good prayers as good livers of the faith. Yeah, the, there's. I w- I once went to confession to one of our older Dominican friars, and well, I've been to confession more than once, but uh, but uh, he once said to me that you know I was one of the things that I was confessing was my frustration with some of the brothers uh, that I live with, some of my Dominican brothers, and his response was, you know, we're we're not all batting. This is, he said, we're not all in the major leagues here. We're not all batting uh, a thousand. So you have to relax. And he's, then he also said, you're also not in the major leagues and you're not batting a thousand. So um, I think often anger, there, there, there's a sort of self-righteous component to anger that, you know, I'm right, they're wrong. Um, and, and that's the end of it. And they need to be told or showed that they're wrong, or at least interiorly, I'm going to make it such that they, you know, that I'm right and they're wrong. And I think taking that step back and and cooling down um, helps us to see. And this is where you know these virtues are united again. Help. It's a little dose of humility that yeah, perhaps there's a reason to be angry. Fine, but also in the many times in these circumstances, there's something that I've you know, I contribute to this in some way, or I'm, you know, not perfect. It might not be in this particular situation, but I too am not perfect. So that ought to give us a moment of pause to recognize that other people are not perfect and mistakes happen, whether they're intentional or not. And that the the way for me to respond to that is not to sort of say, I'm perfect, I'm right, you're not, therefore I win, you lose. And I need to make this clear. But to recognize, like, I, I guess the best way to summarize what I'm trying to say is recognize the humanity involved in all of it, including my own. Um, and that was advice that I was given to by another older Dominican friar that, that, you know, they're often in these situations, it's, it's good to take stock of like, okay, well, what is the humanity of this person? What is my humanity? You know, just as a reminder that nobody's perfect and it's how we have to engage with, with life. And yeah, it doesn't always justify a situation. It doesn't always make a situation good, but it helps, I think, kind of enter into sort of cooling down, like pursue this meekness a bit and not let anger get the best of us, so. Yeah, he, uh, San Francis de Sales gives an example in this section that we just read uh, that I found, yeah, I found very simple, but very, what would one say, effective? I suppose I haven't, I haven't thought consciously about employing it in my life, but maybe I will, I think I shall. Um, where he likens, he says, all right, if, we get, if you get real angry, immediately repent of it. Um, so like find the person who, like against whom you acted in anger or who you lashed out against and then just repent of it. It's just like, just kind of be done with it. So open the box, close the box. Okay. And he likens it to when you tell a lie, you should immediately own it. Right. And then return to the truth. And I'm thinking about this in terms of, you know, we've all read books or we've all watched movies in which somebody tells a lie and then they spend the rest of the book or the rest of the movie building up a falsity so as to defend themselves from having to confront that lie when it wasn't that big of a deal at the outset but now that they told this person that you know like yeah i'm like a nascar driver and i win all kinds of races and so like they have to like make up this false story so that we can impress whoever it is that they met at this party blah 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 so it's like when we don't own it and then abide in the truth it just complicates things and then it makes everything afterwards just a kind of nightmare of justification so too with anger like if there's, there's a kind of honesty or there's a kind of simplicity about anger. Like, you know, when somebody's angry, you don't have to be told like, I'm angry now. All right. So what you're going to see is anger, but let me help you walk through this process of, it's just like that person's real angry. So there's a kind of surprise with anger. There's a kind of innocence with anger, anger, anger gets ugly when it gets locked up in a human heart and then it turns black 
and then it and then it ruins the relationships that are affected by it. So I love this. Yeah, I love this counsel just to be like, okay, I was angry. I said things that were stupid. I'm sorry. You know, please forgive me. I, I, yeah, because. Yeah, I think we all need, we need just gentle encouragement just to be simple about a relationship because when we try to get overly subtle or overly complex, then we just, we just make a mess of it. So yeah, your thoughts on, um, yeah, maybe, maybe a final thought or two on, on cures for anger, ways that we acknowledge it or address it. Yeah, I, I think even just commenting a bit more on what you were saying this and what St. Francis Sales, right, that writes that like confront that anger or our anger quickly and immediately so as not to let it, let it kind of brood and grow um that's i think that's even the that's the, certainly the case as you were describing when we've like acted out of anger and have been short or said something we regret or what you know whatever it might be but i think that's also the case when someone has done something um wrong or unjust and and there is a sort of yeah we should there's a reason for me to be angry about what you've done or how you've treated me or what you've done to somebody else um i think a sort of immediate response is even good and helpful there that doesn't mean like the the moment is forgotten or the thing is forgiven immediately or we don't have to have a further conversation but just to even say like listen you've done you've done x and that that angered me and right now i don't really want to talk about it but you should know this it, it sort of clears the air and it doesn't like father gregory was saying if we allow these things to sit in our hearts and kind of grow and kind of fester um they're much harder to face and confront and root out as time goes so a, a simplicity a simple kind of yeah um honest directness can be um super helpful in these in these moments and you listener you know you're thinking about like all right the life of virtue i get it it's good we talk about it all the time how does this relate though to my life of prayer well think about it this way if you've ever had the experience of trying to sit down to pray but rather than praying you just think about how frustrated you are with another human being it's clear that anger can be an obstacle to prayer to growth in the life of faith because what we want to do is cultivate interior peace because, and this is an example that Jacques Philippe uses in his book, Searching for and Maintaining Peace, when a lake, all right, is all serene, right, when it's nice and, when it's nice and calm on the surface, it reflects the rays of the sun. But when it's all choppy, it doesn't. So too with our interior lives. When they're calm, when they're peaceful, and they're serene, then God's grace is able to kind of work in and through us. But when we're all choppy, which is to say frustrated and angered, then it's harder for God to work through us. So we're seeking to kind of cultivate this interior peace and meekness insofar as it um, you know, moderates or reigns in our anger is going to help us to do just that. So it's going to facilitate our life of prayer and our growth in the faith. All right, folks, that's it for today. So thanks so much for tuning in. Be sure to follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts and to download the reading plan and support the production of this podcast, please visit ascensionpress.com slash Catholic Classics. Again, we're always interested in, in getting to know the digital community better, so please join us at our next god event, whether it be a pilgrimage, a retreat, or something else. And details and applications can be found at godsplaining.org. Know of our prayers for you, please pray for us, and we will catch you next time on Catholic Classics. Mm-hmm.